Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm, live from Altona College, Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Hello everybody, welcome to our Gambling Harm podcast. I am Natasha, today joining me and my co-host Adi, Alana, Jake and Nisu, you're listening to Live FM broadcasting from Altona College, Altona College, Melbourne, Australia. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein, who has lived experienced in gambling harm. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thank you, Dash. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself. So, I'm 25 now. I work as a teacher's aide in a primary school. I also work part-time as a soccer coach with young kids and I coordinate our programs for four to eight-year-olds and I run the goalkeeping for the whole club, which is really cool. Um, I also work as a therapy assistant for special needs kids, which I really enjoy. Um, so I'm 25 now. I, I've experienced a lot of gambling harm in my life. I was a compulsive gambler. I haven't gambled in five years, thankfully. But yeah, that's obviously why I'm here today. And Cool. Thanks for the question. Um, so to start things off, hi Fred, I'm Artie. Um, hey, my first question is, how did all the gambling start? Like, how did you fall into it? It's a good question, Artie. I would say, before it even started, the lead up to it was just my personality as a young kid, being obsessed with gaming, PlayStation, uh, spending, you know, stealing coins to spend lots of money in the arcade obsessively, and just always wanting to win and always wanting that instant gratification from something like an arcade game, PlayStation game, just very to an extreme, to an extreme level. When I actually started, that shifted over into gambling when I was 14, 15, towards the end of year nine, just at the start, just with pocket money, just 10, $15, whatever I could get my hands on, um, just trying to make multis, trying to find value. You know, as a kid I had, and I still do, I have a bit of a, a mathematical brain I really like analyzing things in odds and and strategizing ways to find value um so that's how i started and about 14 15 and and it just kept um it just exacerbated and escalated from there yeah hi fred i'm alana um in the article it says you're mostly losing what made you keep going that's a good question and a very hard question um when you're in that mentality when you use gambles logic it's you are not you're not rational so my mentality wasn't objective that I could see that all the damage I was doing to myself and those around me it was much more like I'm gonna win it back you know I had so much ego and um, bravado and um, pride and I was ashamed because I'd lost that money I didn't want to stop and accept that I'd lost that money my mentality was I'm gonna win this back I'm gonna win this back you know I've had bad luck now my good luck's gonna come so to answer your question when you're in that level of uh, intensity and you have that big of a problem, you're, you're not rational. You're, you use skewed logic. Um, but yeah, of course, objectively now I can see and say that I, I was a bad gambler. I was an unsuccessful gambler. Uh, it was, yeah, it was really difficult. And yeah, just to add to that, I think part of that is something I've gone through a lot. And when people ask me about it, it's a really good question. Um, it's hard for that was one of the hardest things to accept was the fact that I was a loser because I want to win so much because I have that you know pretty good math brain when it comes to arithmetic and numbers but I didn't have the emotional stability and control of to have success as a gambler 
Um, so that was a really hard thing to come to terms with. Good Thank question. You. Hi, I'm Jake. Jake, hey. Um, do you think that the fact that you saw your dad gambling and functioning as a person and being successful influenced you more? That's not, you guys are smart. These are good questions. Of course, absolutely. Um, you know, seeing those behaviours role modelled from young age, and not just role modelled, but praised, you know, idolised. Um, people telling you how smart he was. Like I said, I have a little bit of his mathematical brain, but nowhere near to the extent he was. He was a mathematical genius. So, um, absolutely, I idolised him. You know, and. Yeah, there was normalised behaviour in my household. Um, so absolutely that contributed. You know, sitting on a Saturday watching him on the punt, watching him the horses. And that word functional use, very important word, um, because I, he was a functional gambler. I was not a functional gambler. Um, and that was also a really hard thing to understand and accept was that he could control himself, so that he could just gamble on the weekends. Or he was part-time whereas I was just all out you know all out 100% completely lost control so that word functional is really important and I think it links to control because I I'm not here to tell you anybody not to gamble I'm just here to tell my story about how I developed a compulsive gambling habit and the problems that it caused me and for me the moment where it becomes a problem in my opinion is when you don't have control oh Hi Fred, I'm Nasu. Hi Nasu. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, what is the relationship between you and your mother like? Uh, now? Very good, very good. I'm a mama's boy. We're very close. I've all, we've always been close. We're similar personalities, similar free spirits. It was very strained during this time, as I'm sure you can imagine. It was very hard for her because I was living in the house. Um, you know, I wasn't honest about my suffering and but she could see that I was struggling you know I was putting on weight I was sleeping all day you know it was obvious to her that I was suffering and I was just avoiding I was avoiding it because it was easier and I wasn't comfortable and I was ashamed and it was really strained especially when I started stealing from her it got really strange she started getting really angry and that's not like her she's very soft very warm person very open and free-spirited a little bit wild and silly like me um and yeah I, we're so close and so we we have such a good relationship but at that time it was really strained so how did she feel when she found out you were stealing from her so she she probably just checked her balances you know at the end of three months checked her statement and was probably there was like more money gone than she expected or something like this and she looked at it and she saw maybe sports bed or an ATM withdrawal that she was like, I didn't withdraw that much because, you know, I'm withdrawing $1,000, $2,000 or depositing $1,000, $2,000. Um, so she goes, and she knew straight away it was me because, um, you know, who else would it have been? Who else would have had access to her cards? So she pulled me up on it and, you know, I, you know, I groveled and I said what I had to to get her off my back. And then... Um, I did it again and then I did it again until she said I'm going to call the police if you do this again I'm going to call the police and I knew she was serious and I was afraid and my self-preservation kicked in you know that feeling of pressure of if you don't do if you keep gambling if you keep stealing something bad's going to happen that was for me that was my bottom and that's what that's what started my change
If you're just joining us, welcome to the Gambling Harm podcast. I am Natasha. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Artie, Alana, Jake and Nisu. And we have a special guest, Fred, who has lived and experienced gambling. Um, Having sport as an outside activity to rely on, what was that? like like growing up and when you were gambling it's another really good question um uh, yeah as a kid i played i wasn't very good which i'm embarrassed to admit but i played sport you know just local footy and uh, soccer and later high school and um but i loved supporting like i absolutely loved it completely obsessed with it um so for me it was actually an outlet like like i said earlier i really battled through school you know i was not I was not someone who was well suited to a traditional schooling system. Um, you know, I was borderline ADD. I struggled to sit and concentrate in the classroom and I just didn't find interest in my study. So for me, it was just a grind and it was just about finishing. Um, that's not for everyone, but that was the way for me. It was, yeah, it was really hard and sport was my outlet. So I'd be looking at the clock thinking, you know, when's, when's the end of the day coming? You know, because then I'm one day closer to the weekend so I could do my fantasy sports or, um, you know, just watch every game and, and, and do the stats or, you know, even have my, have my multi on. So initially it was fantastic because it was the, my outlet, you know. It was a way that I could kind of bring myself back and continue with the grind and, and, and suck it up, all the things I didn't want to do. And then it became problematic with the gambling. And now I've, again, shifted it into something healthy in that, you know, I love sport. Um, I'm a soccer coach, which I absolutely love, and I'm really good at. And um, I'm very serious about. You know, I've got my I've got my first two advanced licenses, and with my goalkeeping coach as well, it's fantastic. So, my my love of sport was not the problem. It was you know a factor of the real problem, which to me, to the crux, was uh, a lack of self awareness not properly dealing with the loss of my father or not understanding it as a 13-year-old, um, not having structure after school and really being you know, depressed without that structure and just not knowing what to do with myself. Um, and yeah, getting that self-awareness through psychiatry, I realised that my love of sport is actually a great thing as long as I can use it in a healthy way, which is what I do now. So what sport helped you a lot? Which sport in particular? Yeah. So as a kid, it was AFL. It was AFL. Absolutely obsessed. Doing the fantasy, AFL fantasy, AFL super coach. Um, just completely obsessed. I'd spend more time on that than I'd spend concentrating on my studies. Again, not recommended, but it's the truth. Um, yeah, it was AFL at the time. Then when I was 20, and I literally that, in the start of 2017, I had literally placed my last bet and decided that was it. And that is the last time I bet, thankfully. I had a mate from school who I played soccer with at school. And he he said, come to the soccer club. You know, I know you want to keep, go back and goalkeep again. I said, yeah, it sounds good. So I went to the soccer club with my crazy ambitions to be, you know, the best like I was in gambling. And I wasn't. And I got, I got cut from the reserves team. And the reserves coach is now one of my best friends and mentors. Um, So if you're listening to this, Fernando, thank you for that. Thank you for cutting me. Um, But actually from that, I got a coaching opportunity with the club. Um, A coach was going away and I took that and 
the rest is history. Now we're five years down the track and I've, you know, progressed significantly within the club and within my coaching competencies. And yeah, so to answer your question, as a kid it was AFL and now as an adult it's both soccer through my work and AFL through my, you know, so I still do my fantasy sports. I love it. Nice. So um, in your article, Winning Big, you did say that you hit a breaking point. Mm. What, um, like what really pushed you to make that final change to get over gambling? Well, running out of money and then going through the process of stealing, getting caught two or three times and then really getting on, you know, my mum's last nerve. And like I said, her saying, if you do this again... I'm going to the police, I'm pressing charges for theft. And what caused me to make the change was that feeling of like that sick in the guts feeling of if I keep going this way, like it's something really bad is going to happen. And as I mentioned earlier, it's very easy when you're betting through a screen, through your phone, through chips at the casino, through, you know, just a big bank balance of initially $250,000. It's very easy to not feel every loss. It's very easy to distance yourself from the loss. However, it's not easy to, when that feeling is put onto you, when you're disabled, because my mum was enabling me and she eventually disabled me and that was the moment my self-preservation kicked in. I was, I was scared. I was scared for myself and it was very selfish. Like it was a very selfish mindset that I was willing to cause all this harm to other people, you know, to my mum, steal her money, but, as, uh, but then when it was on me, oh, no, 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 I'm, now I'm out, you know? But that's just how I was at the time. I was very mature. I didn't understand what I was doing, like the full depths and magnitude of it. So, yeah, to answer your question, the moment that my mom, you know, called you on the phone and I was hiding from her and she said, if you do this again, I'm calling the police. And I was terrified. Mm. That was my rock bottom. Um, do you worry about going back to how you used to gamble? That's another really good question. You guys are really taking it to me today. It's good. Um, I don't. I have a lot of faith in my self-control and my support systems that I have now, including psychiatry, um, just amazing friendships and relationships with work colleagues, you know, other health professionals like GP, chiropractor, just a lot of stable and positive influences in my life. However, I do still have what I consider to be PTSD dreams about gambling. Like even last night, I thought, and it's always the same theme. The, the dream is always the same theme, is that I gambled and I have this f- tremendous feeling of guilt knowing that, you know, I broke my five years of sobriety, which I'm very proud of, and I wake up and then I have to kind of double take and go, did I do that? No, I didn't do that. So I'm not worried that I'll actually do it, but there is still a lingering effect from that year or two where I was really out of control in 2015 and 2016 that hasn't fully left me. I'm not sure if it ever will leave me. Um, but no, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if I'm in a moment where I'm vulnerable, like something bad is happening in my life and I'm tempted to go back, that I have faith in myself that I'll reach out for support from the people who can give it to me straight. To be honest, I, it was difficult during COVID during lockdowns and watching, you know, there was that footy frenzy 21 days and my friends were betting and putting their multis in the group. Um, and it was hard not to look and not to, you know, I, you know, I was saying, oh, I was telling them what I thought of it. 
Um, and that was kind of triggering me a little bit and it was hard to kind of get away from that being locked down all day and my only real outlet was footy at night. Um, but I survived that, so I'm pretty confident I can survive anything, any other challenges that come my way. What's your life like now that you're not gambling and how is it different from when you were? Very different. The main difference is you don't wake up and go to bed with a constant feeling of guilt and anxiety and dread that you're going to be exposed or, you know, and shame that you just, that constant underlying feeling of being ashamed and feeling guilty, feeling anxious, you know, not, I don't have that anymore. I have a feeling of, of genuine pride. I still, there, don't get me wrong, I still struggle. Like, there are still, I still have times, I was, I found COVID very difficult in my mental health, as a lot of people did. Um, but I just generally walk through life with real pride, as opposed to bravado, you know, trying to show people that I'm something I'm not, or trying to be something I'm not. I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm confident with who I am, very proud of what I do. I love what I do. So to answer your question, it is completely different. The feeling that you have about yourself, the self-respect is enormous. And I couldn't have got that, and I can't stress this enough. For me, I could not have got that without going to psychiatry and developing that self-awareness and self-management through that process because I just wouldn't know. I wouldn't have that information like what I was talking about with the triggers. I wouldn't know that it was a trigger. I would have just run off with the trigger, you know? But now that I've been through that process, I have more insight. And when that comes about, when that, those feelings arise, I, it's not easy, but I know, you know? And the thing with self-awareness that I think it's really important, I like to stress this point, is that it's not always good information, especially the people who need self-awareness most are not going to like everything they find out. I certainly didn't. Um, but it's necessary to create lasting change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you used to have friends and going to uh, gambling with you? Another good question. I did, um, but the thing with my friends was they could go, you know, they might go to the casino, spend 20 bucks, 50 bucks, and they could walk away. I could not walk away. I did not have the self-control or discipline, and I was completely to another level of obsessed and addicted with what I was doing, just completely consumed by it. So, and I think that's a really good point that you raised because that's a, it's a dangerous trap is you can have a group of 10 friends and there's like a social betting culture amongst them and nine out of 10 of them are okay and you know, they're in control and there's that one that's not in control and he's feeling ashamed because he's looking at everyone else who's in control, who can walk away and that is a really dangerous thing, especially in my experience with young males is very common, you know, betting on horses, betting on footy, betting on whichever sporting event they're at or interested in. And that is a really dangerous concept is that there can be a, group, a massive group of guys and the one guy is suffering and they might not have the culture or he might not feel that support that he can actually be honest with his friends. And the thing with honesty is you have to be honest with yourself first. Yeah. I learned that before I could be open with others, I had to be o open with myself. And when those feelings would arise of shame and guilt, I would push them aside and deny them. But now I'm very honest. I try to be very honest with myself so that I can be honest with others. And there's one more point I wanted to make on that. It's a really good question. And the thing that's really, can be really problematic and dangerous about gambling 
harm and gambling addiction is that if there's a drug addict or, or an alcoholic and they're on the street, what do you see? You see the side effects yeah. of being drunk, of being high, but with a gambling addict, you don't see it. You know, they're locked away in the pokies until 4, 5 a.m. Um, and they're suffering up here. They're sick up here. You know, they're really struggling, but you m won't know the extent of it necessarily um, unless they tell you. So, and we don't really have a culture. I think, in my opinion, it's an underrated social issue because of that reason. You know, people aren't annoyed by the problem. People don't see a gambler on the street and go, oh, you know, I'm not happy with this, you know. But they'll see a drunk or a drug addict or a group of them on the street and be annoyed by it. And that brings attention. Whereas gambling, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more closed off. It's a lot more insulated, you know, in casinos, in pokies. And it's very well, very easy to cover it up. Um, so I think that's also a really dangerous aspect of gambling as a societal problem is that it's easy to overlook because you don't necessarily see or hear the harm, the harm is, is within. Hmm. Good question. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to you, Fred, for joining us on the show today and for telling us about your story of your addiction for gambling. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody else who was with me, Alana, Artie, Jake and Nasu and myself, Tash. This has been our gambling podcast on Live FM. Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm. Live from Alterna College, Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to the Our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM.